0: Special thanks to Drew Dye. I appreciate so much the young men, the older men, men of all ages, the women of this congregation, all those that labor in the kingdom. All those that try to do their part to help the church. Tonight, in fact, we're going to be looking at the topic of Christian labors. Based solely off these two verses in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, we'll look at these two verses and we'll notice each word and the importance that we can find in the words that are used. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we see that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction... For instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every single word is God-breathed. Every single word has importance. It has meaning. And we should learn... From that Tonight, as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, we'll notice first the work of a Christian. Second, we'll notice the withstanding of a Christian. And third, we will notice the weapon that the Christian bears. First, the work of a Christian. Notice the first word. If you're reading in the, uh, the King James, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest. If you are looking in the New King James, it says, Let us therefore be diligent. So, that first two words there, it says, Let us. Now, this isn't, this isn't the, the green leafy stuff that you find on the buffet. As, as I go places and, and eat out with Anna Sanders, as many of you know, uh, as I go eat with her, oftentimes she, she wants that salad, she wants the lettuce. Here, the let us is not talking about that. It's not talking about something that can be consumed, but it's talking about the ability that we have. Just the two words, let us, imply that there is something we can do. Not only is there something we can do, but when we see the words let us, there is something we must do. There is something that we have to do. The Hebrew writer is admonishing the the Christians to do something. But notice he includes himself. Let us, the Christians and the writer. He says, let all of us do something. Notice the next word, it says labor. If you're, if you're reading in the New King James or, or other versions, many of them say give diligence. Make it a part of you. Make it a part of your life. Let us labor. Each individual Christian has the ability to do something. What is it exactly that is the laboring that you're going to do for the work of the Lord? I don't know. I can't say. But I know there's a place for you. Jesus talks about the body, and he says that that there are many members. There are many members that are part of the body at the Olive Branch congregation. There are many members here that make up the body of Christ. How are you going to be fulfilling the laboring? How are you going to be fulfilling giving diligence? He's earnest in his desire. He's, He's working hard. It's number one priority. It says let us labor. Each individual has the ability, and that gives us responsibility. Because we have the ability, we then must be doing something. We must be doing something with the things that we have. The abilities that belong to us. Recently in the the class upstairs, the youth group studied about the parable of the talents. Specifically talking about money there, each person had had talent that he he had to use. Whether it be the one talent man or whether it be the others. They had an ability. They were entrusted by the master to use their ability to earn, to gain. And we see some of them did and one of them didn't. But let us labor. That then is our responsibility. That's what we have to do. Notice the next word. It says, therefore. Let us labor, therefore. This is, of course, in the King James. You can catch the the same idea from from any, any version that you read. It says, let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. Let us, therefore, so that. We can enter that rest so that we can accomplish the goal. There seems to be a question here. He says, let us labor. And it's like, wait, why why labor? Why do you want me to be working? And so the the Hebrew writer goes ahead and he, he distinguishes that fire and he says, therefore, so that, why? Let us labor therefore. That we may enter the rest. There's a reason why we must be working. We must be working because that's how we're going to gain heaven. That's how we will be found faithful. Let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest. There is a reward. There is going to be a day where Christ comes back. The promise. John chapter 14, he said, I go to prepare a place and I'm going to take you with me. If you do what I say, I'm going to take you there. Evidently, there's a possibility, though, of not entering that rest. He says, let us labor, therefore, so that, therefore, we may enter that rest. That implies that if you aren't laboring, if you aren't doing what you can for God, we might not make it. We won't make it, in fact, if we don't fulfill the words of Christ, if we don't do the things that he's commanded. If we must labor... If God expects us to labor, what could possibly prevent us from reaching that rest? If I had to make a guess, I'd say the, the number one thing that could pull us away from entering that rest is laziness. It, it catches us sometimes. There's a desire to do the things that I want to do, uh, there's activities I want to be involved in that are going to pull me away from laboring for God. They pull me away from doing the things that he's commanded. So he warns them here. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest. There's a way to enter the rest, and it comes from Christians working. You talk about the threefold uh, work of the church today. The work of the church today is that we evangelize. It's that we edify and that we are benevolent, that we do for others. Recently, in a study... As I was looking at James chapter 1 verse 27 we talked about love helps the helpless. That was nearby here in Nesbitt, Mississippi. Uh, we, spoke, we spoke down there, Mike and I both did, and I spoke on love helps the helpless. In James chapter 1 and verse 27 it says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now within this, we see one of the activities that is required of being a Christian. One of the labors that we can do. He said to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. In their time of need, there are people all around us. There's a world full of people with needs. There's a world full of people that we can help. That's the Christian job. That's the benevolent job, that's the edifying. If they be, if they be members of the church, if the, the people that we are talking to are members of the church, we can go and edify them, we can encourage them, build them up. We can help them, even though possibly they aren't able to, to come and meet with the saints anymore. Possibly they're, they're, they're stuck at home and they're missing out on the, the great joys of worship we can edify them. If it's someone that's not a member of the church, we can also build them up. We can be benevolent and help them in other ways. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, if you would turn there. Here it's talking about the work of the church. What we can do. There's a job for all. Specifically, There were different jobs here and different people given different jobs. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 if you would follow along with me it says and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of the church for the body of Christ which is the church. We have We have work here that takes place. You edify one another. You build one another up. You train them. You equip them to go out and to teach. Sometimes people talk about a preacher and we call them a minister. I believe that I am a minister. I believe that that Mike is a minister. But if we get the idea somehow that each Christian isn't a minister, we've got the wrong idea. Each Christian... Each person that is laboring in the kingdom, that is working for God, is a minister, is one that reaches out to those in the world. We've got a a message. We've got the most important message that mankind could ever hear. We've got the most concealed message that can be hidden if we don't tell it. In Matthew chapter 28, Verses 19 and 20, we see the Great Commission where they're told, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then he goes on and he says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world or the end of the age. There's a job to go out. The evangelizing, that, that comes back to us. It's not going to... Pick up itself. The Bible cannot go and take itself. It has no legs. It has no arms. It's not able to go out and to teach others unless one has a desire to pick it up and find it. One can find the truth by picking up the Bible and studying it. But they're a lot more likely to find the truth if they have someone go and help them I think back to Acts chapter 8 as you see the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading through the Bible and he says, How can I understand? How can I understand except someone teach me? That's where Christians come in. Let us teach. Let us be the ones that spread the good news. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. If you follow on into the next verse, verse 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a need to be here. There's a need to be worshiping. There's a need to be with the saints. I've heard it before where, where people make the excuse, well, I, I'm going to stay home. I'm just going to stay home and, and I'll study on my own. Or uh, I, can, I don't want to go and... I don't want to be with, with those up there because I don't like the person I sit next to or I don't like the person teaching the class or I don't like people seeing me leave my house. There's all sorts of different excuses we can come up with. Well, if you don't come for you, if you don't understand the importance of worship in your life or the importance of Bible study in your life, I urge you look at verse 24 and do it for me. Do it because you want to help me. It says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Come and encourage me. Come and encourage the members around you. It's not necessarily for you. But we do it for all. You do it for the church. And that is the church belonging to Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, edifying one another. When you do it, it helps everybody. Notice it said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another. I believe if you study throughout the Gospels, if you study throughout the New Testament, one prevalent thing that Jesus stresses is everyone else. Look around to those around you. Jesus isn't stressing you. He's stressing you helping. He's stressing us reaching outward. Not so much inward. It's very easy to think about me and the importance of me. But rather when Jesus talks about the New Testament, when he speaks in the New Testament, he always encourages us to love your neighbor. He encourages us to worry about them. So we see here the edification that comes from us being together. We build up one another. That's part of the work of the church. We evangelize to others. That's part of the work of the church. And then as we noticed in James chapter 1 verse 27 where it talked about pure religion was to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. They reach out to the others. They reach out to those that even aren't members of the church. And they help them, the benevolent. We've got to reach out to all. The work of a Christian is reaches to us it reaches to what we do notice back in hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 the withstanding of the christian we have to be able to withstand life we have to be able to withstand temptation notice in hebrews chapter 4 the end of verse 11 it says lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief now if you remember the first part it said let us be working let us labor therefore that we may enter the rest now it says lest that word lest or means there's a different possibility there's a bad possibility what is the bad possibility the bad possibility is the man makes the wrong decision he falls, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Lest any man shows that there's another side to this story. It shows that there isn't just a sweet rest for everyone because it's only for those that are faithful. It's only for those that are living for God. It's only for those that put Him first. There's a possibility that a human can fall. There's a, a prevalent Prevalent teaching in the religious world That uh, once you're saved You're good forever You'll never be lost There's a Santa Claus theory Heaven, not heaven Good, not good Saint, not saint Saint, not saint There is no checklist Now there is a book of life We can have our name written in that book of life But that's by the actions that you do by living for God, we know we can receive that crown of righteousness. We know we can have our name in the book of life. The Christian here is told, keep working, otherwise you could fall. The same example of unbelief. It's referring to, to that previous to this verse where, where people had fallen. If you study the, the book of Hebrews, you'll notice... One of the problems is that these Hebrew Christians are, are falling away. They're turning. You get started and everything's real easy. I understand that Jesus is the Christ and uh, I want to live for him. And then they got home and they said, oh, family doesn't like this. They got home and they said, not everyone's, not everyone's as excited about following Christ as I am. And they started to fall back. So his point here in verse 11 is, let us labor therefore that we may enter that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. They fell because they weren't working. Can you see it? They fell because they weren't working for God. Why do we need to be working? Because working will keep you faithful. You want to receive that crown of righteousness? Be working. Be living for God. We ought to labor even more diligently because we know we have a reward. There is a reward that awaits us because we're working. Immediately following the push to work, the people have a responsibility. In John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He goes on to say, I am the vine, and ye are the branches, verse 6. He says, bear precious fruit. Then he says, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. That was verse 5. Notice verse 6. If a man abide not in me, if he abide not in me, what happens to him? He is cast into the fire. He is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather him, and cast him into the fire, and he is burned. We've got to be working. We've got to be producing. Notice, bearing fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. What's the branch's responsibility? To bring fruit. If you know anything about an orchard, or about a, a grapevine, or, or any sort of bearing... If you have a cow that never has calves, you get rid of it. If you plant a garden and you never get fruit from it, what a waste. You've got bad seeds. If you've got a grape vine and the branches never bring grapes, there's a problem. If you've got a tree that grows up and it never brings forth fruit, what good is the tree? If there was one that was growing an orchard and the, the orchard never brought forth any fruit, what are they going to do? They're going to have to quit because there's no money if there is no fruit. There isn't any money if they, don't, if they don't produce. Now Jesus says, if you're the branch and you don't bear fruit, you're cut off. You're cut off and put away. The once-saved The once saved, always saved teaching is is far removed from that of the gospel. It's far removed from that of the Bible as we see over and over warnings and warnings. Do what's right. Continue in the faith. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Why? Because we've got to be working to be saved in the end. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin... When it is finished, bringeth forth death. The person is no longer in that saved relationship. He's no longer in that saved state because he was drawn away by lust. Sin separates us from God. We see there that we need to be working so that we don't sin so that we aren't separated. Notice now the weapon of the Christian. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He gives the weapon to the Christian. He says, for the word of God is quick, or meaning living, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. He says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It says, for the word of God. He's talking about the sum of the word. He's talking about the Bible that you have in your hand. The word is special because it's God's, it belongs to no one else. This isn't the word of Jared. This isn't the word of Osama bin Laden or Barack Obama or any other great person that you can think of. It's not the word of John Calvin. It's not the word of Muhammad. It's not the word of any, any man like that. It says, for the word. I'm talking about the word belonging to God. It's God's word. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It means it's alive, it's well. It's not suffering. Notice the word which is spoken of is singular. It says, the word. It's this right here. It's no one else's. No other words written by men matter unless they were inspired of God. It says the word. God's word is enough yet human beings around the world come up with an idea that they need more. They come up with the idea that there's got to be something more. All we need is this word right here. For the word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It seems pretty important to me. I know a lot of the, the younger generation plays these things called Xboxes, and they play these things called Playstations. They're computer games. We have these computer games, and you want that, that perfect character. You want that character that's got so much life that he can never die. You want that character that's so powerful that no one can defeat him. And you want that character that has the weapon that is the strongest weapon. For the word of God is quick, it's full of life, it is powerful. There is nothing more powerful than the words I hand, hold in my hand. It says, and it's sharper than any two edged sword. There's no weapon that can compare to this one right here. The word is the weapon. That he equipped us with. The stabbing of the word. It is able to pierce its, its way. It's able to go, go wherever it needs because the word is all-powerful. The word can change people. But the thing is, just as we mentioned, it takes Christians that use it. As humans, we don't necessarily understand the actions of other individuals. People might do something and we might not understand their desire and that's why I like this last part of the, the verse so so well. It's the separating of the word. It says, Even to the dividing sunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word separates in the region of the soul and the spirit in the spiritual... In the spiritual area, all imperfections can be removed with this. Then it says, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows what you did and why you did it. Once in a while I've done things and, and people took it the wrong way. As somewhat of a jokester, I always try and say things and sometimes I say them too quick and I don't think how it really sounds and it comes out and it's, it's not as funny as I thought it was. In fact, sometimes it's, it's not funny at all. In fact, it it might even be something that that hurts someone else's feelings. That's something I should should beware and not do, but it says the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows the desire. God knows the original intention from the beginning. As humans, we we can't judge the heart. We can't see what someone's original intentions were what their desire was behind doing the things that they do, but the Word is. The Word has no problem differentiating between the actions. The weapon we have is God's Word. If you think back to Jesus, as he was being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, notice verse 4, Jesus says, It is written. Verse 7, Jesus says, It is written. Verse 10, Jesus says, It is written. He used the sword. He used the weapon at his disposal. Ephesians chapter 6, I think of of the equipping of the Christian soldier. He says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The weapon. The word of God. Couple that also with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, which is another important part of that Christian protection. Praying always with all prayer and supplication make prayer a part of your life just as this right here is your weapon couple that with prayer and see how much you can get done there is no greater weapon than that of God's word coupled with the prayer of one living for God in First John chapter 5 verse 14 it says and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he heareth us Make prayer a part of your life. Be the Christian that God desires. Be working for Him. Be laboring as a Christian. We notice first the work of a Christian. What we ought to be doing. As a Christian, we're working so that we don't fall we notice the withstanding of a christian because of his labor he didn't fall and finally we notice the weapon of a christian we have the word of god it's at our disposal if we choose to use it do we want to receive the reward which is spoken of in here do we want to receive that home in heaven which god tells us about i pray and i hope and i trust that you do there's no greater accomplishment than to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If we're living for God, if we're living according to this, there is no doubt that we have a home in heaven. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Is that what we're doing? Are we living for him? Have we become a member of his church? If you haven't, you can do so tonight. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, They understood that they had killed the Messiah. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized. Make a change. Make a change in your life. Be baptized for the remission of your sins, added to the body, to the church, which Christ built. If you haven't done that, today is the day. If you were here this morning, we saw our sister, Aubrey Howard, be baptized into Christ. Now she's a sister, a sister in Christ. If you haven't done that, if you haven't become a member of the New Testament church, do it tonight. Don't wait. Let's be laboring for the Lord, and let's be living in the Lord as we put him on in baptism. If you haven't become a Christian, tonight is the night. Please come as we stand and sing.